0: Today's business at hand is the business of consulting with nations, regions, uh, cities in some cases, uh, around the globe uh, to help them achieve a better technology, uh, better programs for finding ways to make renewable clean energy available. And to do that, it's quite a juggling act. Uh, uh, I mentioned uh, technology uh, there 's an aspect of finance, and beyond that, our guest today, Michael Phillips, is actually helping companies adjust to what 's going on worldwide, and that is with the inevitability of some climate change, and we know that from rising water in different parts of the world, uh, cities are having to adapt in that way, so building on the uh, the background that he 's had as a energy uh, consultant for these uh, cities, regions, and and nations, he um, he's cultivated quite a skill set for uh, for working in uh, thirty five different countries, maybe more. And with that, um, I want to welcome Michael Phillips to the Business Hour. Welcome to the program, Michael.
1: Good to be here, Ron.
0: Well, Mike, I took a stab at trying to characterize. Um, what I know you've done for decades but how would you characterize what you're doing today because you're still working with with other nations and uh, you know as I said uh, you probably take it for granted just because it's what you do day in and day out but for anyone else it would be quite a juggling act because you have to have a good grasp of what's going on in the area of uh, energy production technologically And certainly, there's a public policy aspect. And beyond that, these days, uh, I know you're working uh, in the uh, public and private finance sector. So why don't you uh, share with us how you would characterize what you're doing? And then we'll drill down into some of the things you've done over the last few decades.
1: Sure. Well, uh, I work on the development and finance of uh, clean energy projects. Uh, mainly in developing countries. I started out working in the U.S., but I've, uh, for one reason or another, focused uh, on developing countries in in all regions, Africa, Latin America, Asia. Uh, And uh, that's involved, I should say, both energy efficiency and renewable energy, predominantly wind and and solar, but also some bioenergy. Um, And... uh, It's also been oriented toward uh, increasing private investment in those technologies because we can't do it all with just government money. We can't do it all with just uh, development assistance like from the World Bank or U.S. Agency for International Development. We've got to find ways of attracting private investment. And we've been able to do that. And now in the U.S. and across the world, we're seeing lots of private investment in renewable energy, partly because the prices of wind power and solar power have come down, but also uh, because there's um, more innovative financing techniques and the technologies have become more acceptable. They're not considered crazy and and newfangled anymore. Um, But now, in the last year or so, uh, now that we've been successful, I mean, we can still use more private investment, but we've been pretty successful in doing that now. Um, now I'm, I've been turning my attention to the other side of, of climate change, not just reducing the greenhouse gas emissions through cleaner energy forms, but now looking at the other side of adapting to the climate change that's already happening. We're already seeing, as you mentioned, uh, increasing sea levels, rising temperatures, changing rainfall patterns, longer droughts, uh, coral bleaching, receding glaciers, all these impacts of climate change. And they, impact, and they impact not only the environment, obviously, but people, as you say, cities, but farmers and uh, around the world. And how can we adapt to that, again, not only with public expenditures but with private investment? That's the challenge because we don't right now See a lot of private investment in in seawalls, in more resilient forms of agriculture, in these kinds of things, in drainage, improved drainage because there's more flooding. These kinds of things that the government and the World Bank and those kind of people can't can't. There's not enough money from them to do it, so we've got to find ways of creating and structuring deals that will attract the private money.
0: And you mentioned that uh, much of this work is in um, underdeveloped countries, and I think a lot of people would think, well, it would be the developed countries that would have some of the resources to do this, and maybe, in fact, they do, and that's in part why you focus on underdeveloped countries. But are they also uh, very much in tune just as a developed country would be and, and in some cases, I guess they've been subject to uh, typhoons and, and, and water surge and uh, sinking cities, uh, if you will, uh, so that they've had to uh, uh, at least turn their attention to working with folks like you that are looking for really major kinds of uh, technology solutions.
1: Well, it's kind of a mixed bag, but um, overall, there's definitely an increasing awareness of the each country's vulnerability to climate change. Some more than others. The most vulnerable, other than island nations, which obviously are very vulnerable to sea level rise, um, the 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 most vulnerable country in the world is Bangladesh, and they've got they just can't catch a break. I mean, they've got flooding, they've got typhoons, they've got rising sea levels, all kinds of problems there. Um, and uh there the country is very very uh aware of uh of these impacts. They're they're a leader in climate negotiations, uh, international climate negotiations. Uh they have very detailed plans. We're trying to do some work there. Um with, uh, I mean, there's so much to be done, but in that case, we're trying to work with coastal farmers, which they're rice growers, and there's increasing salinity as the sea level rises. There's increasing salinity of the surface water, but also the saltwater infiltration gets into the aquifers deep underground, and, and uh, so when you, when you have, mu- have wells, comes out more brackish the water has a higher salinity content so we're working with coastal farmers uh, to see I mean there's certain varieties of rice that are more resilient more resistant to increasing levels of of salinity but at some point you just can't grow in salt water so we're looking at um, helping them finance the conversion to to shrimp farming which uh, has a higher return on investment anyway but there's some problems with it but um that's a way to help them adapt to climate change they it's no longer feasible to grow rice in some of these areas not just Bangladesh but other countries as well uh and so we're looking at uh, how do you adapt to that how do you get help to farmers in other countries the uh in fact I should say this in every country I work in and it's way more than 35 um, uh, I talk to farmers. I talk to farmers and farm organizations across the globe, and every single one, there's no exceptions to this, every single one talks about the changing rainfall patterns, how they've gone haywire, um, how there's increasing periods of drought, the rains don't start on time in, in, the, in the ways they traditionally have started, the different seasons, there's uh, more torrential rainfall, they're much more vulnerable to uh, pests now. Uh, they're increasing pests and and, and plant diseases um, as a result of higher temperatures. So we've got to find uh, solutions to all these problems, and a lot of it has to come from private investment.
0: You know, a few months back we had um, both John Tracy. These were separate programs. He was the head of the American Water Resources Association, and Bob Mace, who was working with the Texas uh, Department of I think his group was under water resources and he was heading a portion of that group dedicated to innovation and you know they're faced you know with with similar situations uh, drought and uh, unpredictable uh, rainfall and diminishing rainfall and so I guess they're there are even the most developed countries like our own that are having to wrestle with some of this um, uh, adapt uh, adapting to um, to climate changes. You were recently in the South Pacific, and uh, did you visit um, a, an island or two or many? And is every island uh, a, a, a completely different situation? And and when you deal with a, a, a country that has many islands, or even with Bangladesh, how do you begin? To walk us through the process of assessing what they think their needs are and how you help arrive at what you see as the priorities so that you can begin to put together a project.
1: Well, each country... Um is has some similarities obviously they all uh, are more are are low elevation and they're subject to not only increasing um, sea level but increasing cyclones uh, the equivalent of hurricanes here Um, and they've had some record-breaking cyclones Um, all of them uh, have traditionally been in energy have been traditionally dependent on diesel for their power generation. And that's really expensive. It's probably one of the most expensive ways to generate electricity, uh, because it's not only the price of diesel, but transporting it to these remote areas is very expensive. Um, And so all of them uh, are aware of the need to be more self-reliant, and the way to be more self-reliant is with solar and wind. uh, but some of them are more advanced than others countries like Fiji are more developed um, uh, Economically and have the wherewithal to enact uh, programs to increase solar energy and wind power uh, others are, are less are less Able to do that so you ha- your starting point is to um, and all of them have you know before I got there we already trying to do different things but um, uh, you know you you start with an assessment of the resources that are available you start with talking to government looking at the laws that are either enabling legislation that allow for investment in these things or that are barriers in many cases there's problems especially with land use uh, in, in Papua New Guinea for example uh, you know, it's all these traditional tribal ownerships of land and if you come in and say we want to put in this solar plant, you know, you don't even know who owns the land and someone claims they own it and then it turns out they're not the right person and you just get tied up in knots there. Um, but once you're able to, um, to, to do it, you're working with, to move forward, you're, you're working with the utilities and even though these are very small countries, they each have their own electric utility. It usually is only for the, the main island or, or main islands, not for the more remote islands. Some of these countries, like Fiji, have thousands of islands, you know, uh, that are and hundreds of them that are inhabited. Uh, and so uh, you're working with the utility to finance the, the installation of these things. And in a place like the Pacific, it's really interesting because it's actually difficult to get private investment there because there's so much subsidy coming in from China, from Taiwan, from the European Union, a little bit from the U.S. Um, uh, they come in and they, they want to buy influence in these countries uh, so they can sell their products. And so uh, one way of doing that, and this is true in development generally, unfortunate as it may be, is they just... They'll subsidize. They'll come in and say, here, we'll pay three solar panels for everybody. Hey, Michael. So that's where, yeah, go ahead.
0: We're going to have to take a break. So hold on to that thought. Uh, yeah. We're talking yeah. about subsidizing um, these, uh, these regions. We're here with Michael Phillips. We're talking about uh, clean renewable energy all around the world and what goes into working with various uh, nations around the world. We'll be right back with Michael after this break.
2: or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
3: Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers, Timothy and the guys column You're listening to
4: America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Michael Phillips, a consultant on technology, public policy, finance in working with various nations and regions around the world to help them to not only adopt programs uh for clean, renewable energy, but more recently he's been focusing on working with these areas to have, to adapt to uh, what is this inevitable climate change. And, you know, and by the way, I I, want to set, I want to reinforce the notion that uh, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on these days, everyone is... Coming to the conclusion that uh, whether or not it 's a man made role, the rate of the oceans uh rising uh, is increasing, and that the environment impact the environmental impact and the uh increasing decimation of whole reels whole regions from hurricanes typhoons water surge uh is is real and 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 that 's very much uh what you're dealing with Michael, but before the break, you were talking about how there are sources of funding that are coming in and that are probably making your job a little awkward because uh, they're offering to subsidize in ways um, that I'm going to let you characterize.
1: Well, yeah, I was talking about how, you know, in (coughs) in in its worst situation, the worst case is when there's just way too much subsidy. Uh, and, and and the Pacific is one of those areas among a number. We we've learned quite a bit not of, of how not to do development, but unfortunately, uh, it's some of these problems still happen. The money. How do you get a private investor to invest if a country is saying, "Gee, I can either have private investment come in that's going to try to get a profit and a return as it should, versus taking free money from?" Uh, Taiwan or Japan or China, it's a no-brainer. I'm going to take the free money. So, um, you know, it drives out private investment, but you can't sustain an economy, even a small economy in the Pacific, solely on private, I mean, on, uh, on, on foreign subsidies. It's just not going to work in the long run. So uh, that's the dilemma we face there.
0: You mentioned um, going into regions where it's not even clear who owns the land and and my guess is that you're relying almost strictly on the uh, the judgment of the major players, uh, possibly the uh, the power uh, utilities uh, organization that has jurisdiction but but let's focus on that for a second. I mean, is, is that what you're doing? you're having to rely on local uh, uh guesstimates of uh, who owns what and uh and then uh, have to focus at least momentarily on the the policies related to that unre- un- unrelated to the technology and the finance initially you're you're having to uh to deal with some of the uh I guess you said tribal uh so you're dealing with some of the uh the tribalism related to What can or cannot be done on the lands of uh, 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 some local tribal jurisdiction?
1: Well, I used to work on policy a lot more than I do now. But, for example, in the Pacific, I was working for a European investment fund. They were looking for clean energy investments. And if you go into a place where there's these kind of tribal difficulties and you don't know who owns the land, you're only going to spend... A certain amount of limited time trying to sort that out and uh, it, you know if you can't sort it out you go somewhere else and that's what it comes down to if there's all these barriers in the way of investment in one country you go to a different country and so in a place I don't, you know I don't I don't like bad-mouthing countries but you know Papua New Guinea has a lot of problems I mean they have 700 different languages they're dealing with they have very few roads is it's really wild in the interior areas there even though there's huge hydro resources it's very difficult to develop them uh, because of these land ownership issues and um, you know uh, so there's a lot of potential <laughs> there the utility wants to develop them um, the government wants to develop them um, they have problems themselves and so things are things end up being practically at a standstill and so the, the we looking. We were looking for investments there, and you know, I had to say, "Well, let's let's look in other countries." <laughs> that was a country I was supposed to look in because it had so much potential. But at some point, you just you you uh, you don't throw good money after bad.
0: Well, in a situation like that, are you you? Um, uh Dealing with multiple interpreters? Um, 700 languages is a lot no, of languages. No, in the, in
1: the main places, the main the capital, Port Moresby, and, and the main cities, people are speaking English.
0: What about... The people,
1: the, the educated people, the engineers, the lawyers, and, you know, uh, the policy people, the investors, uh, you know, that language is not a problem. Well,
0: what about uh, jurisdictions, uh, be it the... Uh, uh, utility company in, uh, that has uh, a measure of clout, or a local government that wants to develop, and uh, or even private sources that are pushing for uh, development from which money can be made. You know, they want <clears throat> everybody wants to be uh, profitable, but sometimes what you're doing is uh, doesn't. Uh, even though I I. See See that one of your um, approaches is to make these projects um, profitable. Is that there is a return on investment, but it's a return on investment for taking an approach to uh, uh, remediating a problem as opposed to uh, building uh, residential units that have a separate uh, kind of return on investment that the local government might be pushing for so are you are you in that situation where you're having to get them to do the right thing that is maybe in their minds uh less profitable for them
1: um in some cases the returns are low and obviously the challenge is to make them as high as possible um and that comes in the way you structure the deal but it also comes in the way in the form of, uh, of working with uh, the government uh, in terms of remo- removing barriers um, uh, in some cases increasing uh, support even if it's just verbal support uh, for the project I mean um, uh, let me think of an example um, I mean it, you know, in some cases we're traditionally we've been talking about innovative technologies and these solar and wind is not so, I mean, it's still somewhat innovative, but it's become, you know, uh, pretty acceptable technology now. And so it's less risky and that in itself, less risky investment uh, makes it easier to move forward. And uh, I mean, and now uh, the areas we're looking at is in energy storage and this is an area where the most innovation is and potentially will m- help make renewable energy projects even more uh, profitable because, uh, I mean, there's increasing regulatory requirements in this country um, on utilities to build electricity storage, right? Basically big batteries, lithium-ion batteries, which helps improve the prospects for renewable energy be- because You know, you can't get wind power when the wind isn't blowing or solar power when the sun isn't shining. So you use those technologies to charge batteries when the wind is blowing, when the sun is shining, so you can access the electricity any time of day. And now we're seeing innovations that are sort of challenging the dominance of lithium-ion batteries, and there's a host of new technologies coming along that, uh, for example, there's one that, uh, one of them elevates giant bricks into the air that eventually come down, releasing that potential energy into the grid. And so as these kinds of technologies come forward, and that one's close to being commercial, as those become commercial, it improves the prospects for profitability of renewable energy because it costs less to store that electricity and makes those projects Makes solar and wind uh, dispatchable, as they say. Or ex- you can access their electricity through storage any time of any time of the day.
0: Um, you know, I want to have you uh, actually drill down for a second and, and, and tell us a little bit about uh, what these uh, storage facilities look like are they are they um, large large scale uh structures uh housing lithium-ion batteries and, oh, and they're
1: boring they're boring they're just buildings that have batteries big batteries in them. <laughs>
0: yeah that's what i mean is it, is that what it is it's just uh, big buildings yeah. with big batteries and and lots of them
1: well it varies but the, yeah you disperse them around um, it's especially helpful to Locate them where that load is going to be needed. So it's um, you've got a lot of them, you know, located in different, you know, substations and places like that.
0: Well, we're going to be taking a break, but when you, we come back, um, you, um, you, you know, we've talked about. Uh, I, I use the number thirty-five uh, because I actually saw uh, on a, uh, a a bio where. You had Ghana, Kenya, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, Malawi, Pakistan, Uh, Bangladesh, Nepal, India, China, Vietnam, uh, Indonesia, Philippines, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, uh, Tajikistan, Armenia, Bulgaria, Romania, Macedonia, Turkey, Jamaica, Brazil, Colombia, Belize, uh, Guyana, Argentina, Chile, Mexico, and the USA. And you tell us there are are even uh, more countries I'm going to have you, when we come back, tell us a little bit about some successful project or two in one of those countries. We're here with Michael Phillips. We're talking about energy, clean and renewable around the world. We'll be back to talk with Michael right after this break.
3: Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys
4: Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctors'
2: Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
4: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Michael Phillips talking about the consulting work around the world with various uh, nations uh, working on renewable clean energy projects uh, and also helping them to adapt to the changing climate with uh, rising seawater and flooding and all of the issues related to those uh, climate changes. And I want to, before we talk about Specific projects in specific countries, and 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 maybe what you might characterize as a a success story in one of those uh, one of those countries. Um, it 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 appears to me. I I, I saw a resume, and it looks like you have really uh, built upon a background that started with. Environmental studies, urban planning, uh, specifically uh, focusing at times on um, solar energy uh, and building um, a skill set that has you working on public policy issues along with the technology. And and, and by the way, you you went to Bitzer College in Claremont where you're an environmental studies major with an emphasis on, on energy. Then you went to uh, Cornell and in their city and regional planning uh, group with a, a concentration uh, in the area of finance. And uh, it would uh, seem to me that with that foundation, you've been consistently building this larger and larger skill set. And, and and Michael, you have to forgive me, but I want to read um, uh, what is uh, a description of of at least two different roles and they're related but they're different and one of them is that you help in the identification the appraising of developing climate uh, friendly investment projects in developing countries appraising the policy and regulatory environment for climate friendly private investment including the analysis of policy and regulatory barriers identify usable financial structures Including blended finance, public and private partnerships, green bonds, revenue bonds, and retail debt financing, and that is a a, a, a recent role uh, that you had. But also, you've worked as a team leader, and I would imagine you have uh, teams of people in the area of technology, finance, and public policy. And uh, it, this description goes on to say you're you're a, 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 w- you're focusing on on finance with Projects Consulting for Energy Efficiency, Renewable Energy, Energy Access Projects in Developing Countries, and that there's a focus on performance, contracting, demand-side management, market appraisal for clean energy credit lines, financial modeling, financial structuring, bioenergy, and wind energy, (coughs) pardon me, boy, I'm a mumble mouth today. Uh, market appraisal for clean energy uh, credit lines, wind energy feasibility studies, mini grid financial structuring, solar home program designs, uh, LBG financial uh, assessment, load management, demand response policy and regulatory analysis, and program evaluation. Now that is one gigantic mouthful, and maybe my <laughs> listeners will, maybe my listeners will forgive me for fumbling over some of that, but. That's a lot of different areas, some of whom, um, some areas of, of which are areas that individuals focus on <clears throat> almost their entire life, or at least one or two or three of those areas. But you're juggling multiple disciplines, uh, and then acting as a as a team leader. Um, would it be fair to say? that it's been decades of amassing this skill set uh, that has gone into uh, allowing you to, to act as a team leader with people in each of these different fields?
1: Well, yeah, it is decades of experience. But I should say that, and you're right, there's some people who just specialize solely in, in you know one or several of these kinds of areas. So when you're a team leader, and I've, I've led a lot of teams on, on these things consisting of finance people and engineers and sometimes other disciplines, um, it's in my role. It's kind of like a decathlon, you know, competing in the decathlon in the Olympics, where you get good at a lot of different uh, events. In this case but there are people who just specialize in high jump or pole vault, and they're much better than the person competing in the decathlon in each of those events. So, yeah, you have to have a broad range of skill sets and be pretty good uh, at understanding a lot of different financial approaches and policy approaches um, because, in reality, that's what it takes to get the job done. If you're trying to move renewable energy forward, you have to be able to think about all the different approaches that might, you know, I I can't tell you how many times I have to tell people there's this option, there's this option, there's this other option, you know, and you have to understand each of those options, which involve different financial instruments uh, and different approaches. So, yeah, I mean, you list all those things and I'm going, oh, my God, you know, that's, I used to do this, I used to do that, but um, obviously don't do all those things at one time.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, there really, truly are people who <clears throat> whose um, nine to five job is focusing on establishing credit lines uh, for clients, or or doing financial modeling, or uh, fo- uh, having a focus on, on on bioenergy. That's their job. That is. Uh... Yeah, and I'll bring <laughs> on an
1: expert on. On we were looking at um, for a private investor. We were looking in Guyana in South America at. Developing a biofuel project, uh, and and I brought in these experts from Brazil, who were soil experts, uh, technology experts. Because Brazil is the world leader on biofuel development, so they I I hired them and brought them in to do the specific technology analysis and, and agricultural analysis.
0: That and, needed. and why was Guyana? Um, a, 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 a ripe environment uh, for... Guyana
1: has a lot of land available. I mean, they have a lot of forest that they're protecting, um, but they have areas designated for agricultural development, and there was an investor who um, hired me to do basically an assessment, a feasibility study on, on, on that, and we had to look at the soil, the land, the transport, the port. How good is the port, uh, or how not good is the port in this case? Uh, and, and also looking at world markets. Where can we sell the, the in this case, ethanol that, that comes from, from sugar cane? Um, you know, so you're looking at a, a range of agriculture uh, technologies, processing technologies, economics, port facilities world markets you have to look at all this so i assembled a team with um, people who were uh, experts in each of these disciplines
0: and and uh, where does that that project stand are they uh, still contemplating that or uh, are, have they begun well, that, that, kind no, of no,
1: I, that that fell apart and i i could tell you that i'll do the long story over a beer sometimes <laughs> okay <There's, laughs> it ran into some crazy crazy difficulties there that are unique to Guyana basically the investor was tired of this happens a lot that you just run into unforeseen obstacles this happens in developing countries it happens in industrialized countries too you run into unforeseen problems and uh, we ran into a whole host of them people making promises and breaking the promises people doing analyses not our team for us that were that were inadequate and, and we were just spinning our wheels and spinning our wheels, and the investor finally got uh, frustrated and threw in the towel.
0: Yeah, I would That am- happens
1: a lot in developing countries. <clears throat> that happens more often than you think.
0: No, I'm not surprised, because when you stop and think about uh, competing factions in developed countries, just, you know, politically, and then you, if you introduce the whole uh, uh, private uh sector and have competing factions and uh, I, I, I would imagine I'm, I would be surprised that uh, there are uh, even a few uh, projects that actually got off the ground and got off the ground with relatively few hitches but but are there some examples in this uh, this list of countries that I, I read, um, where yeah. where you would feel uh, pretty good and looking back to and seeing that they got on track and that you helped them get on track uh, and, and and that you could offer a sort of a mini profile of?
1: Oh I think most people would point the biggest successes in the developing world in, in energy efficiency and renewable energy have been China and India. And in China, um, yeah, I just got finished talking about the importance of private investment. And that's where <laughs> actually it was the government that did all everything. I guess once you have an autocratic government, if they decide to do the right thing, you can really get it done. Um, and they did. They 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 um, decided that they were they wanted to provide electricity to everybody, uh, and so they pursued everything. Uh, they still are and. Uh, so that meant not only per, uh, pursuing coal and, and nuclear and, and harder technologies like that, but they pursued, uh, in an extreme way, small hydro and solar and wind and energy efficiency improvements. Um, India, India has done a lot of that too, uh, through fits and starts, but now they they're doing quite a bit of really interesting. Uh, um, and positive uh, programs to increase solar, to improve energy efficiency, increase wind power. They're one of the leading countries in the world in wind power, uh, solar as well. So uh, most people would point to those two countries. Um, after that, there's it's, it's kind of hit or miss. There's, there's interesting countries in, in Latin America uh, and Africa. In Latin America, Brazil. And Colombia are our leaders. Um, uh, Mexico to some degree uh, in Africa, Ghana, uh, South Africa, uh, Kenya to some degree. Kenya is really interesting because they they have um, developed um, their geothermal resources to a large degree. There's a high temperature underground uh, areas that they they basically mine the heat and bring it up and use it to turn turbines, um, and so they've really developed that. They're continuing to develop that uh, as a—it's a great resource, but not not every country has that resource. They're fortunate enough to have it. So, I mean, there's a number of examples around the world that are that are pretty good. Well,
0: well let's drill down for a second into to Kenya. No, no pun intended. But did they have some uh, degree of geothermal technology? Uh, in place and uh, it, it it was something that then you focused on to, to help them realize is something that they could expand
1: I didn't work on geothermal there that is one area I mean of, of the long list of things that you listed that, that I've worked on I have not worked on that and that is a that technology is a very you need a very specific set of of Technical skills to understand the resource, understand how to mine the resource, um, and, and generate electricity from that resource. So this is—it's very specialized. So I didn't work on that. I worked on energy efficiency there, but I—I I knew about the uh, about what went into developing that resource there. And um, there's only a, you know a few firms, the firms that know how to do that kind of development, not coincidentally are from Iceland because they have a lot of geothermal resources there and the United States because we have geothermal in Hawaii and California. And so there's the, the companies that have worked on that, the engineering firms uh, that worked on that in Kenya obviously had experience in their home countries doing the same thing.
0: Uh, Mike, we're, uh, we're going to take another break and, and when we come back, <clears throat> you know, we might have you profile. Uh, a project or two, but we're also going to talk a little bit about um, just um, how you decided that you were going to even focus on uh, the environment and uh, how you uh, collected this skill set that you've applied in this very multidisciplinary way. We're here with Michael Phillips. We've been talking about renewable clean energy projects all around the world that he is uh, helping to facilitate. We'll be back with Michael right after this break.
4: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Michael Phillips, and we've been talking about the projects that he works on all around the world in uh, many different countries to help them cultivate uh, clean energy, renewable energy, and also to adapt to, um, to climate change. Uh, I I said before the break that we were going to drill down for a moment and talk a little bit about uh, how you have amassed, and I think that's the right word, amassed a skill set to help you work on all these different aspects of these projects. But before we do that, um, maybe you could share with us uh, some specific examples of how you're helping uh, countries to adapt to uh, rising water uh, and to um, changes in, in the climate, which would be something you focused on in more recent uh, years as opposed to decades uh, ago. And uh, it, is there uh, a project you um, want to share a little bit about?
1: Let me tell you about a couple of them. They're, they're underway now, so I can't say they're successful. Uh, we're still developing them. Uh, as far as sea level rise goes, uh, one uh, one solution um, uh, is the building of seawalls. And, um, and people are, are taking a look at that seriously in a, in a lot of different places. One place is Indonesia, and um, m- the challenge is how to find as I mentioned before, how to find private investors that'll invest in that. Usually it's governments. It's infrastructure, it's governments. Governments build highways, governments build seawalls, governments build these kinds of things. So in Indonesia we're looking at seawalls to protect runways at coastal airports um, that are starting to flood at some of the low-lying airports and that means, obviously, the planes can't land, passengers can't fly. So it's in the interest of those airlines, if they want to make money, they got to be able to land and take off from these airports. Uh, so some investment from them, or a fee on them, the increasing the landing rates, which would obviously get passed on to the passengers, to help pay at least part of the cost for these seawalls. Otherwise, we're looking at Uh, Putting them in a green bond a a green bond is a is like a regular bond. You take a lot of uh, Projects you you package them together into a bond that is backed by the government But that hopefully will generate its own revenues to pay back (coughs) bondholders and a lot of those bondholders are private investors institutional investors like insurance companies and pension funds so Uh, This is one approach. We're we're working with the National Infrastructure Development Bank in Indonesia as well as the Airport Authority. Um, Don't know yet if it's going to be successful, but we're trying to come up with a way to at least get some of the private private parties to pay part of the cost of those seawalls. Another project there in, in Indonesia which is more likely to be successful is uh, you know, given the fact that climate change is is resulting in rainfall patterns going haywire, and the need for, among farmers for, for irrigation uh, during increasing periods of drought, um, uh, we're looking at solar pumping uh, projects for solar pumping. Uh, not just there, but in other countries. But in Indonesia, a way of financing the solar pumping. Uh, and we've got a, a large seed company. A seed company is interesting in not only selling seeds but packaging with the seeds, the financing um, for uh, irrigation. And so farmers, when they buy the seeds, they're also buying uh, in terms of a loan repayment for a, uh, a solar system to uh, provide them with irrigation and then and thus increase their yields. So that's another one, and everybody's very interested in
2: in that
1: and uh, we're hoping that'll take off uh, this next
0: year. Yeah, it sounds like uh, you've become uh, an expert uh, reasonably speaking um, because you're 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 um, you're quick to point out that you work with actual experts in a given field, but that uh, this whole area of harness harnessing the financing. Uh, it's got to be uh, an area where you're uh, you're being somewhat innovative, I guess. You know, if you're working with uh, green bonds and with the uh, National Infrastructure Development uh, Bank of a country, you know, it's it's probably um, <clears throat> financing that they've never necessarily utilized before. Um, I want <clears throat> to turn to... <clears throat> your career arc and I want to ask you uh, when did you think um, that environment even though that's uh, in large measure what you studied as an undergraduate a lot of undergraduate majors never equate um, what they're focusing on with cultivating a career built on that foundation but you did and uh, Beyond Environment, you know, you you focused on on energy, uh, and uh, I remember I once took a course at Harvey Mudd College in man uh, energy and the environment, and it was pretty complex. I mean, it was like touching on uh, some of the areas that you've made built your career on uh, because it was looking at some of the different uh, uh, energy uh, technologies, and... um, and that was just a small <clears throat> part of uh, uh, what your uh, the disciplines that you're juggling. So when did you think that uh, it could become an actual career? <clears throat> or was it a decision you made when you took that next step to go to graduate school and uh, study uh, uh, in, a, in a sense regional planning and and environmental planning?
1: Well, I know looking at my bio, it looks like a a straight line and thought out, like I just went along step by step uh, following a nice course, but really I made the path by walking. And it started out by the oil shocks in the 1970s. They just piqued my curiosity. Uh, What are these long gas lines? What's causing that? And everybody... Oh, it's the fault of the government. No, it's the fault of OPEC. No, it's the fault of the oil companies. And I was trying to sort out what's what's really behind all this. And I got interested in renewable energy, and I tried uh, uh, making a solar panel in the in my parents' backyard, and it was a piece of junk. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew engineering was not my my thing. Uh, and i I was all thumbs on that. And so, uh, I thought, well, maybe policy or finance uh, is a is a better angle than this, and so so that got me going and uh since then i just it 's been sort of like a trapeze is jumping from one thing to the next that when it becomes available when there 's opportunities that show themselves
0: well it it seems like it 's uh, grown organically, but you 're right there 's a certain linearity to it because It's as if you built on one skill set and expend that skill set in a very, uh, shall we say, logical uh, way uh, because you do seem to be perfectly suited for what you're doing, which is juggling all of these uh, areas of technology, public policy, and and finance. Um, And uh, you probably uh, wake up uh, and have a different uh, sense of whether or not... (laughs) There's balance in the juggling act or not, but uh, but it looks like there is uh, on paper.
1: Well, yeah, maybe there is, and and, and um, but the thing that's really interesting to me is that even I've been working on renewable energy for thirty years plus, and now, just now, in the last I would say five years, maybe uh, it's really taking off. You know, renewable energy generally is really taking off, um, and that's gratifying if your career is in that area. I wish it would have taken off sooner, but um, a, lot of, a lot of us have worked for a long time to fine-tune the policies and, and engineers working on the technologies. They've come down in price, and uh, now we're looking at solar being the global leader in, uh, in terms of new power generation within about 20 years according to the International Energy Agency. So, um, you know, and we're right now at a record time of coal retirements. Coal plants are, are, are shutting down, uh, you know, maybe 70 of them in the United States will shut down this year, or ne- will have shut down this year. Um, and uh, uh, so it's very gratifying if you, if you care about the climate that we are reducing, um, you know, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, increasing the use of renewable energy. And so in my career, I mean, it's great to see it finally succeeding, <laughs> seeing some results that are positive. Hopefully.
0: Yeah, there's no question. Uh, it's got to be gratifying to see uh, um, a lot of uh, this work uh, uh, reaching a, a point where uh, the technology, the policy associated with the technology, and then the actual implementation of these renewable and clean energy projects, are, is, is coming to are, are coming to fruition. Um, uh, I, I am going to turn uh, the topic uh, to something uh, that we won't be able to drill down in, but I think I would be remiss. I want to point out that. Uh, it, it's it's kind of a uh, hobby, uh, maybe an, a, 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 a total aside. You have always been interested in music, or at least for uh, the few decades I've known you. Uh, you became an accomplished musician uh, and uh, actually had a, a, a pretty successful band in Washington, D.C. Um, but you now host a, a show on Radio Tacoma uh, called Jazz in the Kitchen. Uh, which actually I listened to last night. Uh, uh, I do now and then, and uh, and it's really a good program, uh, Michael. So I-, I wanted to plug that, uh, and uh, and what would Tacoma you say?
1: TacomaRadio.org.
0: TacomaRadio.org, yeah, right. and 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 you know, can we close with one statement? Because beyond this multidimensional approach to what you do professionally uh, including, um, the, the addition of the uh, radio program, what advice would you have to young people thinking, Oh man, I want to become an artist. No, I want to become a banker. No, I want to become a, uh, technology guy. I want to be an engineer. Uh, well, what advice would you have for someone who might end up having to juggle a career and do it in a, a fulfilling way?
1: Uh, the short answer is I don't know but uh, I would say <laughs> if if you want to go into uh, any kind of an environmental field um, I would say don't don't study public policy don't study environmental studies those are things you can learn on your own I mean a lot of it you can if you're motivated you can read that stuff and read books on it and, and uh, magazine articles the
0: the we've got we've got thirty seconds or less. The thing
1: to study is the hard stuff, the statistics, the finance. Go to school, get a CFA or a MBA. That's that's my. Opinion.
0: Well, it's an interesting answer, uh, uh, and uh, it would seem to me uh, to be very true from some of the professionals we had on the program. Do the hard stuff, get the you know credentials in an area like finance. Michael, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to be on the program uh, and for the work that you do worldwide.
1: It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ron.
0: You've been listening to America's Web Radio. The Business Hour is on from 10 to 11 a.m. on Fridays. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.